Welcome to What She Said, A Thrill of Hope. I'm Amanda Wood, and today is Tuesday, November 29th. Today we are going to be studying Luke 1, 5 through 7. So get out your Bible or open up your phone or your study guide um, and follow along with the text. Again, that's Luke 1, 5 through 7. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Okay, so what are we looking at here? Yesterday we covered Luke going through his purpose, right? His purpose for writing this entire book. And now we've switched over into our actual narrative. We're now in the common man's Greek. We're talking in language for anybody and we have a purpose, new purpose going forward, not talking to Theophilus anymore about why we're writing the book, but telling the actual story. So what he's opening up here, he's setting the scene. These events that he's about to tell us about happened in a specific time and place. They happened in Judea during the reign of King Herod. So Judea was part of um, what used to be Israel on its own. They're under Roman rule now. They're under Roman occupation of the of the empire now. And Judea is the southern part of Israel, which contains Jerusalem. So it's um, kind of what was formerly Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. So that's where we are. We're in this part near Jerusalem. And King Herod is um, reigning over this particular area. Now, Herod Herod was not a descendant of Israel. He was of um, not of Jacob, but of Esau. So he was an Edomite, and he was made king by the Romans. Thus, he was um, the scepter which departs from Judah. It's from Genesis 49.10, which tells us that when the scepter departs from Judah, or when the kingdom is no longer run by a um, descendant of Judah, then the time of Messiah is at hand. Um, so Herod helps fulfill that portion where we're not we're now in a time where nobody from Judah is king of, of Israel. And so we know that we're we're already knowing from that part of scripture that we're in prime time here. Okay. So people people would have been looking at that a little bit. They knew this promise in Genesis 41:10. So Herod was known for his spectacular building projects. He was actually responsible for building the incredible Temple Mount of Jerusalem. Um, so where a lot of our story takes place throughout the book of Luke is at this Temple Mount. We um see it almost as its own character in the story and it was actually built by Herod so he did do some good things for the people Um, but he was also known for just unbelievable cruelty 
He was very paranoid um, and was known to execute even members of his own family out of fear that they would usurp his throne or undermine his authority. Um, And knowing that about him, it's not very hard to see how he ends up mass murdering um, babies just to try to get to Jesus, who he was afraid would usurp his throne and undermine his authority. So he's a crazy person, um, but he is, you know, he's playing a pretty big role in all of this. So fulfilling... Luke's promise to tell the story from the beginning, Luke sets our scene, and then he begins not with the birth of Jesus, but with the announcement of the one who prepares the way for him, which is John the Baptist. So the main characters we're actually beginning with here are um, Zacharias and Elizabeth, and we're about to um, learn a little bit more about who they are and why they matter to the story. So both Zacharias and Elizabeth came from priestly lineages. They were the tribe of Levi, which that was the priestly tribe when the 12 tribes were um, before Mount Sinai and Israel was being created. Levi was part of the was what God set apart as you are going to be the priest to the nation. You don't own your own land, um, but you have this place of honor to be the priests. And priests have to come out of this line of Levi. So Elizabeth was also out of this tribe of Levi. And so she um, was actually named after Aaron's wife. And Aaron was Moses's brother, which was Israel's first high priest. So they have all of this rich tradition of being the priestly tribe of Levi. Specifically, um, Zacharias was of the line of Abijah, and this is one of the priestly divisions. They're all noted um, on their own in First Chronicles 23 and 24, but there are in all 24 divisions of the priesthood, and th- somebody has figured up that there were about 20,000 of these um, priestly, priestly, div- or sorry, 24 pri- priestly divisions, 20,000 priests in the divisions, meaning there's about like 800 to 820 roughly, give or take, in each of these. So there were a ton, a ton of priests by this point. Um, So the text goes on to say about Zacharias and Elizabeth that they were blameless um, before the Lord. So they're above reproach. They're not perfect, but their lives are dedicated. They walk with the Lord in every step. They're obedient and righteous. But They are advanced in age and they don't have any children. And if you were a Jew of Jesus's time and you were reading that, oh no, oh, you would think they don't have any children. They're cursed. That's terrible. And there was a social stigma to being barren. Um, People would assume that they had sinned, that Elizabeth and Zacharias had sinned against God because Psalms 127.3 says, children are a heritage from the Lord, a reward. So other people would have looked at Zacharias and Elizabeth and thought, oh, well, what have they done wrong to be deprived of such a reward? They're clearly sinful. But God had always planned to use this aspect of their lives. What was likely their life's greatest trial was about to become the greatest blessing that they could possibly imagine. And God makes a pattern of working wonderful things through brokenness and pain just like this. If you look at the story of Zacharias and Elizabeth, God was behind the scenes the entire time moving in their lives. 
you might think that it doesn't seem like it would have been such a problem to give them children before they had John, but it's more likely that Zacharias and Elizabeth were being sanctified by this trial and God was using this childlessness to actually prepare them to be the parents they needed to be for John. They were going to have to have a lot of holiness built up inside of them, the ability to follow God through a lot of tough things, and also the ability to sort of hold John in loose hands, not grasp onto him too hard, realizing that he was truly just fully from the Lord. I think as women, many of us can really identify with the pain that Elizabeth and Zacharias experienced um, in praying for a child that never came. Whether you, you know, have suffered infertility or not, I think as women, we know the love we have for our children. And when we wanted a child, how deep that want can be. Um, but if you've suffered through infertility, then you know how extremely painful it absolutely is. And you can become so despondent in suffering it. You can lose hope and you can lose faith in God. And Luke is showing us here a couple who went through no small trial, but they remained faithful to God through it all. So what we're taking from this moment and what we can look at this and we can see is that God is always in control, even during our most painful moments. He knows that pain is the only thing that will get us to our ultimate best. And he knows that ever-present happiness and ease doesn't make us holy. Um, his plan for us is like way greater than happiness. He, he wants us to have joy in our struggle. He, he wants us to not have an easy street because we aren't very self-reflective when everything is going well and we don't really learn in that state. But through our struggles, God, he, he can refine us. He can sculpt us into who he means us to be. And he can chip away all the parts that don't look like him. Um, and I know that's kind of mixing metaphors there. But the scriptures talk a lot about putting us through refiner's fire and um, it's molding us. And it mixes metaphors on its own. So I'm going to mix them too because all of these things are really true. And what you can hear from all of it is that it, it sounds kind of unpleasant. Um, it doesn't it doesn't sound like it would feel good being burnt in a fire to burn all your impurities out or having parts of you chiseled away and broken down is supposed to sound tough. It's supposed to sound painful. It is painful to be made into a person that God wants us to be, but it's worth it. And as you can see from the story of Elizabeth and Zachariah, they were put through a trial. They were refined in fire and they were chiseled to mold them into the 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 picture that God needed them to be so that they could take on the blessing and responsibility of this child that he was about to give them. So God wanted obedience from them so that he could give them this blessing. And one of those blessings, they they weren't just like totally unblessed until this moment here that we're about to see that they find out that they're going to be parents to John the Baptist, but they were they were definitely most certainly blessed the entire time in their ability to feel joy even in the darkest places in their life. If you think about Zacharias and Elizabeth's friends and neighbors as well, who likely thought that they were cursed, that Zacharias and Elizabeth were cursed because they had no children, um, those same friends probably thought that they themselves were doing just fine because God was blessing them. They had children. They were blessed. They had what everyone wanted. They had someone to work their land now, and they had someone who was going to take care of them when they were old. So clearly, they were probably thinking that their lives were just fine. And I think that, to me, that kind of points to... Um, 
why we can't always understand what God is doing. Um, you see in the Bible that children are, are a blessing and you don't have one, so clearly that's a curse. But sometimes what looks like a curse will actually be a true blessing in the end. And we have to go through the difficult thing. We have to go through the, the troublesome path that God needs us to walk in order to get to the place where we can find the ultimate blessing. But like I said, we also um, we get the blessing of God walking with us along the way. And scripture says, in this world you will have trouble, but um, take heart, I've overcome the world. So the trouble is a guarantee. Sin came in, everything is broken, but God is with us and he will be there with grace and love and he can bring you through your pain and into a brighter day, a better day, um, the blessing and the plan that he has for you. So regardless of what you're going through, um, hold on to the hope that you you are continuing to be in pain. You are continuing continuing to suffer your trial because he is preparing you for something else. If this wasn't prepare, if your pain isn't preparing you for anything, if there's absolutely no reason for it, if there's not going to be an eventual outcome of it where God works all things together for our good, then he's going to end it. He doesn't, God doesn't just like leave us in pain because he gets a kick out of it or he thinks we deserve it or it's some sort of punishment. It's, it's, it's preparing you for something. And I want to say that it's not always like, I, I really hate like one day you'll know, one day you'll know why all of this happened. Um, You might not, you might not be as lucky as Zacharias and Elizabeth to have some, you know, heavens open and the stars shine and you know exactly why you've suffered what you have and you, you see the reason for it. You might not have that on this side of heaven. You might not get the child that you're longing for. You might not have your spouse healed from their illness. You might not have resolution here in the thing that you are praying for, the way that you're asking to have it. But what you can always know is that it's not just this world that God is preparing us for. It's also the the next life. And so it might be that what you're being prepared for is a role that you're going to have in eternity. So I, I don't want to I don't, I want to be encouraging to everyone who might be going through something the way that Zacharias and Elizabeth did, um, but also not to sell a false thing like, oh, everything will work out in the end and you'll know and you'll see and it'll be perfect. Um, Part of trusting God in his will is knowing that even if you don't understand at any given moment, all along the way, he's preparing you for something. And the end of this life on this plane, on this side of eternity, is not all there is. I think the other thing that we can learn is that we need to learn to suffer well. We're going to suffer and we can choose to either do it with some joy in our hearts or we can choose to do it like the entire world is coming down on us and everything is so unfair and why is life like this? Um, We're probably all going to have moments of that when we suffer regardless of what we're trying to achieve but we want to try to be a person who can endure the trials of life without the moaning and complaining and the why me and the shaking our fists at heaven because that means that we trust God. We actually trust God and we actually trust that no matter what he hands us or what road he takes us down, we're going to be safe because we're in his will. And if you can do that, if you can if you can hold on to Christ and you can keep your spirits up, there will be 
a reward for that. And again, that reward might be here and you might eventually know what it is here on this side of eternity or that reward might be in heaven, but it will be that you have peace and joy in the midst of his will today. That is one thing he absolutely guarantees you here on earth is that no matter what you are going through, he will give you the grace and the strength to endure it if you hold tight, but you have to hold, right? Like you can't just lay there and say, why me? And then God's going to pick you up and make it all better and make you feel better. You have to hold to him. You have to do the work, really grab on and do the things that are going to allow you to be in relationship and in community and in constant communication with God. And that is going to be the thing that gives you the strength and gives you the grace and gives you the joy while you walk through even the hardest things. And if you do that, when you get to the end, whether it's the end of this struggle or the end of your days, and you look back, you are going to have the satisfaction of having trusted God and you're going to see moments that you had that you wish you had trusted him more all along because you're going to see what a great reward there was for the times that you did that's all for us today have a great one